Good morning. Isn't that awesome? Awesome, awesome. God's doing something. He's building this house of worship and prayer. And um, it kind of hit me. I've kind of seen this before, but not quite like I saw it this morning. But you know how the kingdom is. It's, uh, it's backwards. And, um, you know, if you want to go up, you go down. If you want to... Uh, Live, you got to die. I mean, it's just, it's the backwards kingdom. Uh, and, you know, when a group of people come together, his body, and they begin to say, you know what? The joy of my existence is to worship you. I want you, God, and I want to. I heard someone say this uh, this week. Um, it kind of struck me. Deborah, you remember... Um, I think it's Philip is his name. He, he said, we worship the Lord with our attention. Our attention. We're not, zone, you know, when you come into worship and you, some, you know, I've done it. I'm not throwing stones, but when you zone out, you know, during worship, you know, and, and but we worship him with our attention. You know, when we're giving him our attention, you know, we see with the eyes of the heart, we know he hears, he's here, he's watching, he's hearing. I don't have to see him to know that he is receiving joy when I focus on him. And what I began to see, and this is not my message, this is a freebie. Drop a quarter in the... <laughs> um, when we come together to give him our focus, the wor the, worshiping him with our attention... The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And here's what I saw. There is a selflessness in our worship. Worship is getting our eyes off of us and on to him, right? That's what it's about. It deli worship delivers us from that self-focus and self-centeredness that we're just full of naturally. Since the fall, we've, we're self-focused. And when we begin to worship him we begin to get our attention back on him. And in that place of dying to ourself to put, give him the honor, to give him first place, to, to seek his desire, not our own, you know what happens? His presence comes down. And you know what ends up happening? Where his presence is, that's where his kingdom reigns. And you know where his kingdom reigns? Healing comes. Deliverance comes. Salvation comes. Breakthrough comes. And so we're not worshiping to get. But you know, when you, worship, when you worship with a heart of selflessness, I am trying to bless you. God comes and he always blesses us. <laughs> That's why Benny Hinn, uh, one of the amazing things about Benny Hinn that he believes in so heavily, um, I've heard him talk about this, you know, he refuses to do ministry or anything before the presence comes. He, he just, they abandon their meetings to worship. And then the Lord will break out and start healing people before, before he even gets up to do anything. Because where he is, there's the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. We worship, we're actually bringing heaven down because he inhabits the praises of his people. Y'all get that? It's not, we're not doing it to be selfish because the moment you're doing it to get, you're focused now on you. But what happens is when we focus on him, he comes down and then we do get. <laughs> it's amazing. And I saw it so clear. Uh, this, the Lord is leading us as a congregation into, I believe, what's going to be one of the, maybe the greatest revival that the earth has ever seen. And you know how I know that? Because he's leading us into deeper place of seeking to please him. If you seek to please Jesus, the kingdom's coming in power. Does that make sense? It's not my message, but it kind of is. But I just saw that, and I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, I have a... You know, my old joke, that's not a joke, uh, is that these are at least three-hour chairs. So I did, we did that on purpose. We're not in a hurry here. If 
you're new here, just sit back, relax. We'll make sure all the restaurants are empty by the time you get there, so you'll, we're doing you a favor. Uh, you won't have to wait in line at all. You'll be able to walk right in because everyone will be done. <laughs> I have a message today. It's a challenge, but there's grace to meet the challenge, as there always is. I just want to say this on the forefront. You know, Jesus said, of my own self, I can do nothing. Jesus said that, the Son of the living God. When he emptied himself, as it talks about in Philippians 2, when he emptied himself to take on the form of man, to become a man, he then emptied himself of his deity. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped at, but he emptied himself. When he became a man, he set aside his deity. And he became a man fully to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. If that's what Jesus did, how much more us? So when the Lord puts out a challenge to people, you must first realize that he's not asking you to turn inward and to make something happen in your own strength. He's wanting you to see something so that you can cling to him for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do the impossible thing that he just said to do. Does that make sense? God says something, it's a challenge, he calls us to something, and I want to put forth a challenge today to us, but I want you to understand, don't let that turn you inward in where you're trying to figure out, oh, I have to, I have to make, no, 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 no. Turn to him and say, Lord, give me grace to enter into this thing that you've called us to. It's the grace of God that empowers us to do to live a life for him, not for us. We can't do it by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said it was better that I go away so that the Spirit will come. When the Spirit comes, and he did come, he's here available to anybody who wants the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is here to help us live in a way that we cannot live. All right, turn with me if you want to to Luke 7, 14, sorry. I got a lot of scriptures. Uh, as y'all know me, uh, I often will reference scriptures without going to it because I'm just going so fast. And if I do that to you, Psalm, I'm trying to go through the scriptures with us a little bit today, but there's still probably going to be some of that. So, sorry. All right. So Luke 14, verse 25 now large crowd, this is verse 25, now large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to them, I love this, and this, I want to set the picture right here. I'm going to read this again. Now large crowds, everybody say large. large. That's a lot of people. Bunches. were following. Large crowds were going along with him. So you got the picture. Jesus is walking and crowds of people were following him. Lots and lots of people were following Jesus. And it says that he turned and said to them, okay, so Jesus is walking, crowds are following him, and he stops to look at the crowd that's following him. You get it? He stops the process of moving forward to stop the crowd that's following him to say something to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You hear that? I'm going to start heavy, but, I, but we, remember, this is grace, the grace that allows us, but... but but hear this. This is something that the Lord wants us to take serious. He stopped the, he stopped the crowd from following because this was so important. And we need to hear this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. A disciple is someone that's taught. A disciple was someone that committed their life to their master. A disciple in this time period, you know, all trades in this time period were done by people 
a master tapping a student on the shoulder and says, I will allow you to come and follow me and I will teach you this trade. It was a huge deal. We didn't have colleges that anybody could go to back then. This was, this was an honor to be tapped, to be able to learn a trade from a master craftsman or something like that. And it was true with anything, even the studies of religion. They had to tap the student on the shoulder, tell him, come, I'm going to, you dedicate the rest of your life to learn from me and I'm going to pass on the knowledge that I have gained so that you one day can walk as I walk and have something that you can offer the world, could be a career back then, that's the way it works. And so Jesus says, unless you want to be, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my student, you have to hate every relationship and you have to hate yourself. Now, does Jesus want us to hate ourselves? Of course not. He tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God as we love ourselves, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're to love God greater than that. We're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. He wants us to love ourselves. He wants us to love our neighbor. But what he is setting us, what he is setting up is a contrast that my love for you compared to my love for you, this looks like hatred. Compared to my love for you, you are foremost and every other relationship in my life is secondary. That's what he's saying. Even your own life has to be secondary to me. Now I want to tell you without any uncertain terms, and I believe this has been the fault of the American church at least, is that we, tr we preach a soft gospel that all you have to do is bow your head and say a prayer and you're good. And that's not the truth. If you want to be his disciple, if you want to be his, he has to have number one in your heart. He has to be more important than any relationship you have, your wife, your brother, your sister, your kids. And he has to be more important than your own desire, your own dreams, everything you want for your life. I'm almost 49. I can tell you from firsthand experience for following God all of my, my adult life and even some of my, my teenage years, this is not where I saw myself. I'm not where I thought I would be. But I can promise you, I wouldn't, at this place, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But I had to, to follow the Lord and his path for my life. I had to die to many things along the way. And you always do. Dreams, aspirations, hopes. Along the way, there's a price to be paid to follow Jesus. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one against him with 20,000. Or else, while, they, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. You hear that? Everything. Your possessions. Everything. To be his disciple is to give him all. And he tells us very clearly here, that we are to count the cost. There is a price to pay to follow Jesus that we have to count the cost. Because you don't want to start, and I've seen lots of people who start running well with the Lord. And a few years go by, sometimes 10 years or whatever, and they fall away. I mean, everybody in here probably knows somebody they knew that was walking with the Lord at one point very strong, and then now they're not. How many people know somebody like that? Okay, that's what I want to help us with today. Nobody chooses in their zeal to walk away from the Lord. 
When you're, when it's, you know, when everything's going good and you feel the Lord and life's treating you well, boy, it's easy sometimes to walk with Jesus. But Jesus often stops us and says, look, if you want to come after me, I'm going somewhere you don't want to go sometimes. What you going to do about it? You going to follow me or you going to follow you? Matthew 16, 24, this is like, you know, this is said in numerous places. This is not like, Jesus said this a lot. If you read the Gospels, Jesus repeats this phrase many times. I'm just going to repeat it one more time, okay? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But Jesus gives us a clue here. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds." There is a cost in this life to follow Jesus. But you know what? The reward is amazing. The reward is, Paul said, you know, he said that the, the, the glory in this life is not to even be compared. All the things, when Paul uh, in Philippians starts talking about his life and the things that he had experienced, he said, everything that I've had, everything that I've gained I count it but rubbish, garbage, that I may obtain Christ. He said everything, because Paul was this learned guy. He had gained wealth and power and authority. But then he got confronted with the Lord, by the Lord. We know this in, in the book of Acts. And when he experienced Jesus, then he began to realize that everything in his life that he had gained was rubbish compared to... The, what it was to gain Christ. And I'm telling you, eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And when we've been there a million years, we will not have even scratched the surface because it does not end. Man, I want a reward there. You know what I mean? But the people that, that live for that only can do so with the eyes of their heart being opened up to where they see with the eyes of their heart the reality of that place. When you can see with the eyes of your heart, faith comes alive. I'm, this, is, this is a no-brainer. If someone says, if you give me a dollar, I'll give you a million, what would you say? Duh. Okay, but here's the catch. You're not going to get it for... You give me a dollar now, I'm going to give you a million, but it's going to be in, in 20 years. Duh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's, the, I mean, that's not even a, a good comparison. What we sacrifice in this life to follow him is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us, the scripture says. I want that. And more importantly, I want him. I want him because he gave me our all. He died on the cross, not just for my sins. He died as my sin. He died as sin on the cross so that I could be forgiven and spend eternity with him and not in hell where I deserve to go. I'm thankful for that. He deserves it. Revelation 2 and 3, he gives a message to the church, seven churches. Um, you can look at it in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. I'm not going to go there, but interesting enough, there's one message he said to every churches, and that was that he who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But there was one other statement that was said in every other church except for one, and in that one he says it the same thing but just differently. And he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant. And then he goes on to a reward of the grant of what he was going to release to him who overcomes. To an overcomer is someone who comes over obstacles. There's obstacles in this life that we have to overcome. It's part of the price. And we overcome it because there's a reward waiting for us that's worth it. 
And when you fall in love with him, you realize he is the reward. I mean, there's much more than that. But my gosh, to gain him is everything. The only other church that says he who is faithful until death. That's the only church that wasn't told to overcome, but they're told to he who is faithful until death. There's, there's a lot more ways to die than just physically dying, okay? When Jesus said, pick up his cross and follow you, follow him, he wasn't just talking about physical death, though that could apply. That could apply. It could apply. Even in America, it can apply. You can ask that young girl in Colorado who guy comes into school with a gun and says, do you believe in God? And she says yes, and he pulls the trigger. She's a martyr for eternity, for eternity, for all of eternity. Heaven honors her because she valued God more than her own life. For all of eternity, it'll never go away. She's honored. Angels bow before her because of her love for God. So don't feel too sorry for her. I mean, she's, a, she's, to, she's to be honored and, and to be looked up to. But in this life, it could be that. But there's a death daily that we get to choose to die. And that's when we wake up every morning and we say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. Not what I want. You know, when we choose to follow Jesus, there's a price to pay. It's not, Lord, I want to marry this girl. No, it's, Lord, I would like to marry this girl. What do you think? What is your will? Is this your desire? Lord, I want to take this job. But Lord, not my will, your will. What is your desire? Do you want me to take this job? Lord, I want to go do this, but not my will, your will be done. You get it? Lord, I want to get up and it might be, Lord, I want to get up and eat a nice big breakfast. And, but Lord, sometimes, hey, no, I want you to fast today. Fast. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, you really tested me, Jesus. <laughs> um, turn over to Mark 4. This is the parable of the sower that Jesus tells. And it says, Mark 4, verse 1, He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him. See, when big numbers come, Jesus likes to challenge them. Because he knows the majority of people aren't willing to pay this price. And so he just likes to remind them, hey guys, there's a price to pay. He says, large crowd gathered to him and he got into a boat in the sea and sat down and the whole crowd was by the sea of the, on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow and he was sowing. Some seed fell beside the road and the birds of the air came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had, not, had no root, it was withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Okay, so that's the parable. And he was saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And as soon as he was alone, he, the followers along with the 12 began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get very, everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they may return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand the, this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Now, one passage says that the sower is the son of man, Jesus. And he went about and sowed the word. So the sower, Jesus, sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Okay? Satan, we see that all through scriptures. Adam and Eve, God says, don't eat the tree. On the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Satan comes and says to them, will you surely die? 
you will not die. He comes and steals the word that was sown by God in their hearts. You get it? Jesus, he, he, he does this over and over again. He, is, he always is trying to do this. I mean, think about what he did to Jesus. God comes when Jesus is, is baptized by John. The Spirit comes down and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well, who I'm, who I'm well pleased. He goes immediately into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. And the devil says, did, he basically said, did God really say? Because what he says to him, he said, if you are the Son of God. God just declared over him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But if you're the son of God, he was challenging the word. Satan always comes to challenge the word. And he's always going to come to challenge our word that the Lord gives us. So this is like the one that was sowed beside the road and the birds picked it up. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown in the rocky places, whom when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. You ever met people like that? They, they get so excited about the gospel and the kingdom, but as soon as they go through something difficult, there's a falling away. Jesus said, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. See, there's a, there's a price to pay for this word. This is that word in the parable of the pearl, you know, where, you know, this is such a, the word is such a great pearl, it's worth selling everything that we have to buy the field that the pearl's in. And others are the ones whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it become unfruitful. Satan's always trying all these things on all of us. You know, we go through seasons in our life where things sometimes are difficult. Some things, sometimes it's, it's easy, you know, we, sometimes our lives swing like a pendulum. We're hot we're cold, we're hot, we're cold. We don't want to live like that, but that's a lot of times that's the way it is. And there's always this temptation that comes in that tries to draw us into desire for other things. And they can be good things. They can be things that are not even bad except for when it cools our love for him and we begin, like for instance, I'll give you an example. I love movies, okay? I love movies. I love them. And I think God made them because he likes them too. In a sense, well, I ain't going to go there, but anything can become an idol when it gets exalted above God. A lot of things are good in themselves as long as they're kept in the right place. But when they become a higher priority, that's when it becomes an idol. And movies, I think, are a great thing, but I remember the other night... night, um, I, I had a, um, I was watching a Clint Eastwood movie. You guys, come on, Clint Eastwood. And I do like to watch Clint Eastwood movies. Uh, but this particular night, um, I, I was feeling the Lord draw me to pray. And I just felt like I had nothing in me. But rather than in obedience, get up and turn the TV off. I didn't, and I watched the movie, and there's nothing wrong with the movie. I mean, the movie's fine. I mean, you know, I was watching a movie, okay? Watch a clean movie, it's fine. Um, I, it was one of them. I don't remember. <laughs> Clint Eastwood. I knew it was Clint Eastwood movie. I don't remember which one. But, um, and so, I, I go to bed that morning. I have a dream, and in this dream, I'm sitting there, and in this um Beside me, there's like this thing. I don't know what it is. It's like a raft or like a couch or something. But underneath it, I saw this really big snake. It was really big. And it was, a, it was big. I mean, really big. Not like a little snake. I mean, this thing was like big. And he was sitting there hiding. And I woke up from that dream. And I knew what it meant as soon as I, as soon as I, as soon as I woke up. What does a constrictor snake does? It constricts, right? It chokes. 
It doesn't kill by venom. It kills by choking stuff out. What does Jesus say right here? Others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The Lord was saying that you allowed that desire to watch this movie to choke out your passion to be with me because I came to meet with you and you chose a movie over me. And I was like, Lord, I woke up from that dream and I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. It's not that the movie is bad, so if don't hear me. I watch movies. I will probably watch one today, okay? But it's the Lord came to me and I chose a movie over him. Oh, man. There are things in this life that want to come in and choke your passion for him. And it can be, you know, worries of the world. When you worry, you know, you're choking the word and making it unfruitful. Worry is one of those things that chokes the word and makes it unfruitful. Worry steals your trust, your peace, and ultimately will steal your love. Other thing is deceitfulness of riches. You know, don't get me wrong. I would love to be rich. I would love to be loaded. I'd love to be a millionaire. But not if it, not if it cools my love for him. Anything is, almost anything is okay in its right position. There's nothing wrong with having money as long as money don't have you. And when you have a desire for riches and you begin to pursue that over pursuing the kingdom, you've gone astray. Our pursuit of money should always be secondary in total obedience to what the Lord desires for your life. And when you start pursuing money, when the Lord's trying to get you to pursue something else, for many times this is like the Lord saying, hey, I want you to do this when you, when you could be going out and making more money. Or the Lord says, you know, you want to take this job opportunity and there's a big pay, paycheck at the end on this job. But the Lord says, no, I want you to move to this city and be a part of this church. And don't worry, I'll give you a job. You can go work at the school system. <laughs> and, you don't, and you're not making the money you could have made doing something else, but you're in the place that God wants you to be. I'm going to tell you something. There's something more valuable than money. It's the blessing of God. When you, get side out, when you get outside the will of God, you're not under his wings of protection. He wants all of us to be protected, but when you're not in the shelter of the Lord Most High in Psalms 91, when you're doing your own thing, you're outside of his will. You're not in his protection. I've seen more people shipwrecked because they get outside of the geographical will of God. And there's no grace for them to be there, and the enemy takes them out. I've seen it happen time and time again to, to good people that loved God but decided to lean to their own understanding and go their way rather than God's way, and it, the enemy takes them out. Now here's John, if you turn over to John 8. You can live for the Lord for a while, and then choose to walk away from him. You, any day, you can choose to walk away. And no one wakes up and says, you know what, I'm going to walk away from Jesus today. No one says that. It's not the way it works. But there's this slow put to sleep that the enemy does through the things that I just mentioned. And it's a slow draw away. And it's a slippery slope. You slide one day, then the next day, then the next day, and the next day, and you wake up one day, and you're so far away from the Lord, and you're now making decisions on your own. And the next thing you know, it's taking you into a path that's just like, man, how did I end up here? Well, you didn't pick up your cross daily to follow him. You didn't seek his desire. You didn't choose to acknowledge God in all your ways and allow him to direct your path. That's how you end up there. John eight thirty one. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, okay? So what I'm about to read, I want to make this very clear. Jesus was talking to the Jews that believed in him. Y'all hear that? These are not the people that didn't believe in him. This is the people that believed in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him, 
If you, he says to him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Lots of people believe, but don't continue. Lots of people have believed that Jesus is the Christ and died for their sins, but they don't continue in his word. Are you getting up and seeking the Lord daily for fresh manna? Are you getting up and seeking the Lord for his presence? Are you staying in this word so that you can make sure you're in alignment with him? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And then people quote this next line all the time. But they quote it out of context. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Let me back up a second. Let's start over. Ready? So Jesus was saying to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you want to live in freedom, and you're going to live in truth, and if you're living in truth, you're going to live in freedom, and the only way to do that is to continue in his word. That's a daily thing. Continue in his word. If you continue in his word, you become his disciple. Every day, continue, continue. Today, Lord, I give you my life, not my will done today, your will, Lord. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? It's interesting because they were occupied by Rome, just side note. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. We were all born in slavery to sin. If you were born, you're in sin. You have sin living in you. You've done wrong. You've chosen wrong. But Jesus wants to set us free from sin in the flesh. And he tells us how to do it right here. Continue in my word. Continue in it. Jesus says in, in, in uh, John 15, he says, uh, abide in me and let my words abide in you. Live there. Just let them live there. Is his word living in you? The most important thing as believers that we can do is to get alone with God every day to get in this word and seek God for fresh manna from heaven every day. It's not by bread. What did Jesus say? It's not by bread. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God the Father, proceeds from the Father. If you continue in my word... Now, I'm almost done. There are challenges in our lives that are going to, call, that are going to test us to see if we're going to continue in his word. And I believe the Lord wants to challenge us so that we, and really just remind us that what it is that we signed up for. Because a lot of people come to Jesus to serve Jesus so that they, because they're getting a need met. And don't get me wrong, God wants to meet your needs. He loves you more than you can ever know. He wants to take care of you. He wants to meet your needs. But you have a greater need than your natural needs. There's a spiritual need that we all have, and that's him himself. And in the story of, in John chapter 6, you, I'm going to kind of, there's a lot there, so I'm going to just tell a quick version of it, and then we're going to go to a few verses in John chapter 6, Jesus had just multiplied the bread and the fish and done a great miracle. And with two fish and five loaves, he fed over 5,000 men, not to mention the women and the children. So it was at least 10,000, probably closer to 15,000 people that got fed on two fish and five loaves. That's a big-time miracle. How many would like to see that? That'd be awesome. So he does this. And he sends the people away, and they come looking for him the next day. Um, 
And so Jesus, uh, it says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Okay, so Jesus feeds them. Then he sends them away because it's nighttime. He goes off. The next morning, they're getting up. They're trying to find Jesus. Jesus had already left. He went to Capernaum. So when they found him on the other side of the sea, this is verse 25, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus says something to him. He says, Jesus answered them, said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for him the Father God has set his seal. There is a temptation for all of us at times to, to follow God for what it's doing for us. Rather than realizing that Jesus said, follow me, follow me. I want the blessing of the Lord, and he's got lots to give out, so don't get, misunderstand what I'm saying. But I don't want to seek him just for the blessing, though I want the blessing. I want to seek him because he's worthy to be followed, and no matter where he leads me, I'm willing to go because that's where he is. And if he leads me somewhere I don't want to be, well, I do want to be there because he's there. And I want to have that heart. I know a person, I'm going to tell a story, a real quick story, and just to give you an example, because I see a lot of ministry students at Morningstar who start off strong. I mean, I'm looking at you, Miriam, Vic, and Howard, because y'all were there. Paul, you guys have been to school there. You know, I'm sure you know people like this who are excited about God. They go to ministry school, and a few years after ministry school, they're not even serving God at all. Their, their faith had been shipwrecked, and I'm try, I want us to avoid that. But when you have wrong expectations, it's easy to get your faith shipwrecked. When you think that following God equals da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and you don't see da-da-da-da-da-da, then all of a sudden you're, you're bewildered, and you're like, well, what's going on, God? You let me down. Well, I think you were following God for the wrong reason, so that you would get filled with the fish and loaves and not because he's worthy to be followed. And I, I know this is just an example and because I, I know this story. There was a, one particular lady who had the Lord speak to her about this guy that she was supposed to marry, and she was in love with this guy. Well, the guy admitted he was, in, you know, he, he was dating her, and they both felt like it was the Lord. They both heard from the Lord that they were supposed to marry. The problem was the guy was struggling in his heart because he was still had feelings for his ex-girlfriend. Okay, ex-girlfriend who wasn't a believer starts coming around. And even though they both had a word from the Lord about their marriage, all of a sudden, this guy chooses to lay that cross down. Not, my, not your will, Lord, my will be done. And he chose the ex-girlfriend that wasn't even a believer and he goes off with her, and she's like, what are you doing? I don't understand. We both heard from God. He's like, I know it's God, but I don't want it. I want this. I mean, he was just straight up with her, and it broke her heart. And in her heartbreak, she left the Lord. She was angry at God. How could you do this to me, God? How can you do this to me? You broke my heart. So what is she living for? She's living for her own heart. So now her heart, her own desire is more valuable than God's desire. It, it tested her to see what was in her. And I pray for her. I, I want her to come back to the Lord. She fell so hard. I, I don't even, she fell so hard. Just, I don't even going to get into it, but she fell hard. Like she's living in a world that just does not comply with, with biblical uh, world values. And, and I, wanted to, I want to tell her, and I want to tell all these students that are coming, 
excited about the miracles and the power and the things that we're seeing in the Spirit, prophetic words and seeing people healed and demons cast out of people and all the stuff we're seeing and want to see. That unless you come to die, you're coming for the wrong reasons. Seeing miracles are great, but if that's what you're coming for, you're coming for the wrong reason. You're not coming so that God blesses you and you're blessed. You're coming to bless Him because He's worthy of it. He is worthy of your life. He is worthy of your life. He's worthy of it. He deserves it all. He deserves it all. So when we come to Him, I want God to bless me, but even if He doesn't bless me, I'm going to serve Him. I learned that. I, I, y'all have heard my story. I'm going to say it again real quick. In 06, after being, I got married at 21. We had dated five years. My wife was 19. I wanted kids from, as, I don't know why, but as a young man, even as an early teenager, I, I loved kids. I wanted kids. I get married. My wife doesn't want to have kids. She wants to have kids, but she's scared. She knows her life's going to change. And she was right. <laughs> Life changes. I was 21 when, I, when, when we had Alexa. Uh, is Alexa up there? Yes, she is, so I can embarrass her. But uh, I was 33 when we had Alexa, okay? Right before we got pregnant, um, you know, I've been waiting on this forever. You know I mean? It's been a long time, and it took quite, I, the whole another story is how God brought my wife to the place that she said yes to have kids. That was miraculous in itself. Um, but right before she has a kid, um, before we were pregnant, I have a dream. In the dream, I'm, at the, I'm actually at the beach when I had the dream down at Sunset Beach, and uh, we were on vacation, and I, I go to sleep, and I have this dream, and in the dream, I'm being invited to go to India. And there's all these details of stuff going on, and then I came back f- from India, and I wake up from the dream, and when I woke up from the dream, I literally woke up in the middle of the night. I said, I said, baby, the Lord just released me to go to India because I had been wanting to go to India for a long time, and the Lord wouldn't let me go. Every time I try to go, the Lord would say no, and I was like, okay. So I finally get released to go to India, and I'm excited. I'll go back to sleep. I wake up that morning, turn my phone on, and I have a voicemail with an invitation for me to go speak at a conference in India can't make that up i have a dream i'm being invited to go to india i wake up that morning with the invitation to go to india that's god all right so i'm i'm like i'm excited Lindsay. you know Lindsay's happy for me she's she's even happier because she ain't going (laughs) uh so life goes on a little bit and we get pregnant and my trip was scheduled for the middle of july three weeks well guess what lex's due date falls in that time period what and so like i'm at first it's like a dilemma it's like man the lord spoke so clearly this is him and so make a long story short me and my wife both felt like it was the lord for me to go I did cut my week. I, I did cut the trip back to two weeks, because I, I just to be safe, uh, cut a week off of it. So I'm still going, but I'm just making sure I don't miss my child's birth because that was so important to me. Uh, you know, if you're an older man, if you're in your 70s or older, it might not be that big of a deal to you because that's the way it was back then. Men sat outside the hospital room, girl, women gave birth, and the men come in when the baby's born after after all the suffering's over. But that's not the way it is today. Men want to be involved, and I definitely wanted to be involved. I wanted to see my child born. It was important to me. But I had such faith. I had such faith, and my wife had such faith that this child would be held off until I got back. We believed. I'm telling you, I believed with all my heart that I would be back to see that child's birth. So I went in faith that God was going to hold off this birth till I got back because he told, clearly told me to go. So he told me to go. He wouldn't make me miss my child's birth. He, he wouldn't do that. God wouldn't do that. So I go. The 10th day into being in India, I get a phone call in the middle of the night. 
and it's my wife, and she's going into labor. And all of a sudden, my world starts spinning. What? Because I had faith on an expectation. I had an expectation, not one that God said, but one that I just assumed. It was an assumption. If God's telling me to go, he obviously wouldn't want me to miss my child's birth. Okay? So I have an expectation. And now she's crying a little bit, and I'm crying a lot. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. I get in the car. I drive three hours to the airport. On the way there, I'm Jekyll and Hyde. One minute, I got faith that I'm about to be translated. Immediately, I'm going to be in the hospital. Next minute, I'm sobbing like a baby because I feel like I'm missing it. I was going back and forth. And I get to the airport. We miraculously get a plane right away. I mean, it was a miracle that I could get a plane that quick. And we jumped off. We're flying over. We land in Dubai, which is our, is our one stop before we get to New York. When I get to Dubai, my phone comes back on. I have a message from my sister-in-law. Alexa was born. I can hear her crying in the background. I still got it saved on my phone. It's really cute. Uh, and I hear it, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. I mean, I'm just like, I am heartbroken. I mean, I cannot tell you. I know it, for some of you, you're like, oh, what's the big deal? It was a big deal to me. It mattered. It mattered. And I, and I went in faith that I was doing what God wanted me to do. I was. And I'm bewildered. My faith is wounded all of a sudden. I'm, my world's spinning, and I don't know what to say. Well, like, God, what? I don't understand. What? I don't understand, God. I'm talking to the Lord. Lord, I don't understand. I did what you told me to do. And I remember going into the bathroom, crying my eyes out, and all of a sudden, as I'm standing there, I am telling you, I don't know, I'm telling you, I had the flash of my whole life up to that point go through my face like that, bam, like, whoo, and I saw my whole life. And I was blessed, blessed, blessed. Didn't even have a broken bone, not including my nose, but I was, I was blessed. My life was blessed. I saw it by revelation, not just the fact that I was looking back on my life. I saw it. God had blessed my comings and my goings. There was a bubble around me my whole life. And I saw it. And, but then the Lord spoke to me so clear. And I'll never forget it. He said, will you serve me even if it doesn't go well with you? And here I am at the dilemma of this whole thing. I'm bewildered because obeying God actually had a price tag. It cost me something that I wanted. And I sat there and I I gave it thought. The Lord Almighty, God Almighty, I'm telling you guys, God Almighty was speaking to me. I, I heard it clear as a bell. He said, will you serve me if it doesn't go well with you? And I began to think about the suffering that so many believers have had to follow Jesus. How many people died? How many people were beaten? How many people lost jobs, lost homes, lost wives? How many pe- I know many, so many people that's lost wives because they follow the Lord and the wife couldn't go that way. Will you serve me if it doesn't go well with you? And after a few seconds, maybe 30 seconds, thinking about it, pausing to actually count the cost, I said, Lord, yes, I will serve you if it costs everything. And at that moment, when I told the Lord he can have everything, <laughs> sorry, it was at that moment when I said yes, the Holy Spirit sweeped into my heart and all the pain and bewilderment that I felt at that moment was flushed. And all of a sudden it was gone. 
My disappointment was over. I don't even, I can't explain it. It was by the Spirit of God. I was no longer disappointed. I was, my faith was healed because my faith was no longer tied to an expectation, but to a person who said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And I believe the Lord is going to say to us, all of us, every single one of you, if you decide you want to follow Jesus, you need to understand what you're saying yes to. And you have to decide, will I serve you even if it doesn't go well with me? If it costs you something to follow Jesus, will you say yes? And I know in my own strength, I cannot possibly bear up under everything that could possibly happen to me. But I also know that with Christ, I can do all things. When I say, yes, Lord, I want to. I want to desire. I want to love you so much that I'll lay down my life for you. Then he comes and he gives me the empowerment that I wouldn't have had otherwise to lay down my life and follow Jesus. And I want to invite us all into a commitment again to say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you no matter what it costs me. Even if my life doesn't look like I thought it should look. Even if it costs me a marriage. Even if it costs me friendships and jobs. Even if it costs me my physical life. I want to be there, Lord, where I am living for you and whether I live or I die, I do it all for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is the call. And I want to answer that call. And if that's you today, if you want to answer the call to follow Jesus, if you want the grace to live for Him and not for yourself, and to pay the price even if it doesn't go well with you. I'm just going to ask you to stand up as a, as a sign to the Lord that I am willing to stand up and say, Lord, I want to live for you like that. Give me the grace to live for you. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we want to love you like you deserve to be loved. Lord, we want to live for you like that. We can't do that in our own strength. We know that. I'm not trying to do something without you because I can't. I can't even serve you without your help. But Lord, we, right now, I pray for the grace upon everyone that says, yes, I want to live for you like that. And Lord, I'm asking that grace would come by the power of the Holy Spirit and fall on everyone in this room and cause a love to grow inside of them that loves Jesus so much for what he has done for, a, for, for us that we would surrender this life to the one who died and gave us his. The one that gave us his all that we would in turn give you, Lord, our all. Give us grace today, Lord. I'm asking for grace today to pick up our cross and follow you daily. To say, not my will, your will be done. I'm not even looking up right now. I'm, I'm intentionally, my eyes are closed. But if there's someone in this room that has never surrendered their life to the Lord like that, the Bible promises us that everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I just pray right now, if that's you, just cry out to him in your heart and say, Lord, I want to know this Jesus that's worth living for. We're going to have teams down here, and if that's you, I encourage you to come talk to this team down here in the right-hand corner after church. But Lord, I ask for your grace now on all of us to live for you from this day forward, to keep us 
from the evil one who wants to choke the word and make it unfruitful. That you would give us grace that, Lord, that not only that we would believe in you, but that we would continue in your word and so prove to be your disciples. Give us staying power, Lord Jesus. Give us staying power, Lord Jesus. The ability to stay in your word and not turn away. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord.